Arthur kind of mentioned this uh, at the end of last week's episode uh, about just like how long we've been doing this show. Uh, but it was funny uh, to drop the kayfabe. We uh, watched both of these movies uh, in the same week and are double recording today. Uh, but I wrote the same thing down, Arthur. It is so weird. Like one of the, you mentioned, you know, we opened the show with Assault on Precinct 13. This is a siege movie. But I also made a note that like our one of our first movies we did that very first couple of months we were doing the show was Die Hard uh, for Christmas. And uh, it is weird that uh, the, the Die Hard knockoffs that were coming uh, out uh, right when we started doing the show are now things we're covering. It's, right. it's been far enough out that those things are officially like good trash for us to examine. Yep, it is. Yeah. Well, we, the time just keeps on a moving. It sure does. Yeah. It's wild. Or does it? Years. Eight years. Is this the? Will this be the? Uh... Yeah, I think we're right around September twelfth, and this will drop. I think around the eighteenth, seventeenth, somewhere in that wow. neighborhood. There you have it. Wow, I have a doctoral study in good trash. Um, thanks to you guys. Yeah, I, so, we made boy, it. Look, if anybody knows a lot about good trash movies. It's us. I guess so. So, Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we, for eight years now, have gathered around a table to discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. Is it, we're not at 10,000 hours yet. Never mind. Uh, well, Obviously, we're at almost 400 hours. 10,000 hours and a million nights. Um, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we do this thing where we uh, talk about these movies, and I'm still Dustin. I'm still Dalton. I'm still Arthur. Now, what movies would that be, Dustin? Today's movie will be Olympus Has Fallen, not White House Down. Uh, Olymp- Neither of which, though, would probably be films you'd find yourself discussing in a film no, studies course. I don't think so. I mean, a very specific kind of course might deal with... Ones we'll pitch later on, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, but that being said, yes, this this movie is um, not going to find its way into your standard syllabi for certain. Um, in case you're tuning in for the very first time um what we do in this movie in this show and what we do in this movie what we do in what the- we do in this movie is lots of stabs a uh, much stabbing um a yeah, very very stabby movie uh we we spoil the film because it's an analysis show not a review show and so the way we avoid that though for the first part of the movie or the first part of the podcast i am not well you're gonna do it a third time now you know that we're right? gonna struggle through I, this one I boys cursed today uh, this is a cursed film so that makes sense <laughs> right <laughs> What we do, though, for the first uh, part of the podcast to avoid spoilers is we do a synopsis and a thumbs-up, thumbs-down set of reviews, and then we move into a little exercise called Expanding the Syllabus, which usually involves spoilers of other movies, not this one, but sometimes there are some slight ones uh, that occur there. And then finally we get down to business, and all spoiler bets are off, and we'll find out whether or not the White House will survive um, this particular event and whether or not it has insurance. Um, all of that will wait, though, till the end of the show. You have been warned. So without any further ado... Um, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you like Olympus Has Fallen? Well, Dustin, there's something we have to do first that you've forgotten about, and that is ask Arthur to uh, oh, yeah. tell us a little bit more about this here yarn. Synopsis, yeah. Yeah, you want a synopsis? I got one. Uh, Thought you might. Yeah. Mike Banning is a revered, beloved personal secret service guard for President Benjamin Asher. After a holiday tragedy, though, Benjamin uh, Banning is moved to a desk job at the Treasury Department. Eighteen months later, the president is set to meet with representatives from South Korea, including the prime minister. However, North Korean forces have invaded the prime minister's detail and stage a coup capturing the White House and killing dozens of civilians and service people. But they didn't count on one thing. A tarnished secret serviceman looking to atone for his shortcomings. They didn't count on Mike Banning. That's right. He's the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time. So It's that kind of picture. Very John McCain esque, sort of um, thrown into a situation. Now I know you meant John McClain, McClain. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I John... do you think you're invoking of uh, <laughs> John McCain, the yeah. late 
well, the late John McCain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whoops the daisies. Well, Freudian slip, perhaps. We'll get there. Um, anyway, so there you go, dear listener. That is the movie in question. Hey, Dalton, go ahead and tell us if you like it or not now. Well, that's a, uh, that's quite a question, Dustin, uh, whether or not I like this film. I, I, I'll say this. I think if you take the things about this film that work and you mash it together with the many more things that work about uh, White House Down, I think you got a hell of a picture on your hands. Uh, I just I appreciate the the schlocky violence of this film, um, uh, in a way that I, I think the PG thirteen ness of White House Down. And I'm sorry, listener, I am only going to be able to talk about these films in conjunction with each other because that's just when two movies that are basically the same movie come out in the same year, they're forever. Uh, you know, uh, look, two wolves live inside up all of us. White House Down and Olympus has fallen, uh, and that's really. Honestly, I think an accurate summation of this film. White House uh, Down kind of has this real uh, middle Obama years kind of neoliberalness to it. And this film kind of has a similar time and place conservatism to it. And I find that aspect of these two films very interesting. And I think the the bad guys of the respective films uh, reflect that. You know, you kind of have this massive cabal uh, in, in White House Down. And in this film, you just have... The United People's Front of Korea, some sort of paramilitary organization. Yeah, it's it's a weird plot. It's again, I, I appreciate. I've, apparently, Fuqua was like, "Well, I know the bad guys are not going to be from the Middle East because it's 2013, and that has been done, uh, and nobody knows anything about North Korea, so I guess we can do whatever we want." Which I kind of understand that thinking, but it definitely, I think, speaks to this film's inherent uninterest in politics, which is a difficult thing to do when your entire film is is centered on an, uh, an extra. Uh, national threat on Washington, D.C. Uh, and again, I think White House Downs uh, inter-country and, you know, the White House Downs both within and without uh, attack, which I think is really interesting. I think having just a w- from outside of the country attack in this film just by definition kind of puts it on a different footing just by virtue of the plotting of the film. And I know I'm spending a lot more time on the actual plot mechanics than we normally would in a review, but I know I, that feels so embedded in this film's dna that it's worth talking about uh that aside you know you've seen this film before folks it, as we've already alluded to it's it's a diehard knockoff it is some guy is stuck in a building with a bunch of bad guys and has to figure out what to do you have seen this film before and this is just it's trying its best to like the the ways the specific the specific ways in which this film actively apes diehard uh, is just truly fascinating to me um but all of the things that it wants to borrow from Die Hard, it doesn't really understand how to deploy or use. There's a really great homage to the uh, the scene where uh, John McClane and Hans Gruber uh, have their fabulous standoff. There's a great homage to that in this film. Well, I say, it seems like it's going to be a great homage, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And I think when we get into analysis, we'll kind of talk about uh, that in more spoilerific detail. Because I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that scene about what this film's... You know, overall morality is, and I, I guess that's the thing about this film that rubs me the wrong way so, and you kind of alluded to this, Dustin. It is just very cavalier uh, in its depiction of mass death. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Banning's uh, wife, played by the always great, always underused Rada Mitchell, uh, who's, you know, we, we get some cutaways to her as a nurse trying to, like, run... Uh, what's the word, triage on this massive attack that's happened in D.C., but we just get like these little nuggets of it when there's an, an entire movie happening on that side of the screen. And it just feels weird to like pay lip service to to the mass death uh, 
I don't know. Uh, we'll talk more about this in analysis too. But there, the, there's just a way in which graphic violence is depicted in this film that really rubs me the wrong way. Which you know, normally I love that graphic violence. I adore it. Uh, but maybe it is the fact that they're using CGI squibs, and that's not making them think about just how many damn bullet holes they're putting in people. But you know, I get it. There's a lot of gunshot wounds in this movie. How are you gonna? That's a big squib budget if you're gonna do it all practical. Uh, mm-hmm. But that that digitalness kind of just creates this. I don't know. It's not the same. T- thing is pg-13 sleepy time bullets but it's almost right i don't know for for whatever reason that's how those kinds of squibs generally register to me uh and i think it re- they register that way for the filmmakers because the film again it's it's so deeply deeply graphically violent which again a thing i'm normally into uh but it just doesn't really want to engage with that uh and that's that's frustrating to me just based on all the other things this film is doing you'll notice i haven't really talked about any of the performances and that's because they're all fine uh, everybody is good and underused except Gerard Butler, who is Gerard Butler. Uh, and you look, you want somebody to be Gerard Butler? That's the man you hire. Um, and you know, he's fine. I like that, uh, he's, his controlling his Scottish accent seems to be something he's fairly good at in this film, which is surprising to me. It's not something I usually think about when I think about Gerard. And he does a pretty good job. Uh, he's fine. He's not that good at quips, which is really surprising to me. You'd think he'd be a quippier guy. Uh, it's not really his strong suit. And again, I think that is a great place to end this review is just kind of tonally. Uh, it tries to ape Die Hard and yet has no grasp of, of how to do that tonally, which is weird. I, you know, I haven't seen all of Anton Fuqua's movies, but I, I find most of them definitely have a groove that they stick in, uh, specifically thinking of like Training Day and the Magnificent Seven sequel. Um, you know, and that that is a, a PG-13, uh, you know, non-bloodbath but that film like even with its lack of graphic violence seems to have more appreciation for human death in this film which is i don't know it, it's again it just feels weird his filmography uh it's, it feels like a weird choice for him but uh you know it is what it is sometimes you watch a movie and uh by the end of the credits you think to yourself well that by all technical merits was a film and i was more or less entertained but now i have to have watched this movie for the rest of my life and I'll think about it on my deathbed, probably. Oh, man. Sad. Uh, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm just thinking about, you know, of all the things to think about, you know, at that last moment in Olympus has fallen. Well, I, I assume I'm going to be forced to rewatch every film I've ever seen when I die. Which, oh, uh, that's your hell. Uh, well, you know, it's more of a purgatory, I think, than a hell. But, yeah, I think about that a lot. Your mm. life flashing before your eyes is just all the bad movies you watched. Well, you think about my life. It's a Hebrew hammer of just... <laughs> my life has included Greatest watching misses. a lot of films, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Yoinks. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur? Do you like Olympus Has Fallen? I tell you, if you miss the pure machismo of the 1980s action scene... I think uh, Olympus Has Fallen is for you. It, it does is... have that. You wrote a really great review of this over on Letterboxd. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think you know it's a true throwback to those 80s, 90s shoot 'em up action films in the vein of Arnie, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal. Um, it vil- very much feels in the vein of the canon, canon film, uh, films. Uh, we talked a, a while back. I think it was when we did Kill Chain. Uh, we talked about Millennium Films and kind of I compared Mag- the... Magnet or Millennial? Millennium. I think this is Millennium, millennium. as well. I always get Magnet Millennium yeah, mixed up. Yeah, I do too. And I, I was just double-checking everything to make sure I was on the right page um, because this is a Millennium release, uh, as was Kill Chain. Um, but they both fill in that same vein of those canon films, yeah. that Norris and Seagal, and uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, he did... Uh, Death Wish. Uh, oh, Bronson. Uh, Bronson. Bronson, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it kind of feels in the same vein of those movies, that sort of, that ilk. Um, 
And so I, I think very much Fuqua is succeeding in, in hitting a lot of those tropes correctly. And, and uh, on paper, I think this is very much setting out to do what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, but I, I think that the tone and writing, though it is attempting to do that, it's just kind of missing the mark a bit. It feels like the mm-hmm. quips are never quippy enough. It feels like the the pulpiness is, is is still taking itself a little too serious. It's always miscalculated. Yeah. yeah, it's never quite hitting the mark like it wants to. I think, and so I, in 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 some forms, I do think it's succeeding, but I don't think it's succeeding quite as well as it's hoping to. Uh, cast is fine, like you mentioned. It feels like a paycheck movie for everybody involved. Morgan Freeman has been very upfront yeah. about this entire franchise yeah. being a paycheck for him. Uh, but quite frankly, you know, I, I think everyone except Eckhart and Butler, and, and I'm very excited that somebody's still willing to pay Eckhart to do something. I think Aaron Hockhart is one of our great actors. He feels like a very modern-day Greg Kinnear uh, in a lot of ways, and he's, yeah, he's, he just doesn't get to do this More stuff. handsome Greg Kinnear. Yeah, but I mean, he's kind of got that everyman thing. He can do just about anything, and he doesn't get to do the work, and I feel bad for him, but I'm glad somebody's paying him. He's emoting like a mug in this movie and though. people are paying for these movies I, I, I was looking at this the budgets got smaller and the grosses went up on these franchise films uh this one i think was like a 70 million budget grossed 100 and something the next one has like a 60 or 50 million dollar budget grossed 200 million the third one has a even lower budget like a 40 million dollar budget because they're just paying uh butler and freeman and it still grows like 170 i mean this is a franchise that has made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Why not White House um, Down, I say? Why not? Yeah, uh, poor Roland Emmerich. Psh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll go that far. <laughs> I will. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very watchable. You know, I think Dalton mentioned that. It's a watchable movie on a lazy afternoon or evening, uh, but it's about 20 to 30 minutes too long. Uh, ultimately, forget it. it spends a lot of try- time trying to establish these characters uh, performed by actors who are just you know, checking off boxes. Um and so I, I think once it really gets into the action, it, it becomes very watchable. But at the same time, it's just too long for what it is and sure. what it's trying to do. Um, I wasn't mad about it. I, I would watch it again. I, frankly, had fun. But, you know, it's it's nothing I haven't seen before. I won't see again. And, you know, done by better people. So Now, you very famously hate the second film in this franchise. The second one's a mess and, and I think leans into all the things that I think Fuqua was trying to avoid here uh, in regards to the geopolitical nature of it. Yeah, that, that kind of strain of nationalism that's in the backdrop it, of this. Yeah, and the second one really leans into that xenophobia and, mm. you know, it, it gets weird. London has fallen. We have, I believe, Middle Eastern villains and a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm drones. sure that was handled just as delicately yeah, as all the shit that's in this movie. Yeah, got the nuance of, yeah... An elephant walking to a room, uh, <laughs> bull in a china cabinet. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the second was a mess. I was going to attempt to rewatch it, and three, I didn't get to either of those. Uh, instead, I watched Gamer uh, to get me some more Gerard Butler. Okay, but uh, and more Rada Mitchell too, right? Isn't she his wife? No. In it? no, it's somebody else. I was wondering. I was like, is that? But no, it was somebody else. Uh, I I almost bought Silent Hill though, which is Rada Mitchell. Yeah, I do. Look, but she's I, great in that. I did not purchase that. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm divulging from the focus of the show sometimes these reviews require tangents yes uh anyway that's where i'm at it's okay dustin okay, what about good. you uh so i you think like the stab happy movie okay this movie makes a ton of money and it spawns a franchise i mean there are clearly there are things that work well yeah i don't think I'm, and i think this is the first movie in a while um i don't know there's one recently i can't remember what it was but maybe a swim fan 
but I, I just know I'm not the demo for this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm not. Well, it's like Transformers, right? I, yeah, okay. Those movies aren't good. <clears throat> I don't like them. Somebody does because they made a lot of I went to the last, see the third one in theaters, and people were cheering it. Right, I mean, I there's a very diehard fan base for these movies. I think we could probably point out who they are. Uh, die we hard don't have fans. to. Yeah, well, maybe. I'm a diehard fan. Well, okay, motherfucker, I am a diehard fan. I think All it's right. another. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. Yeah, well, but, but yeah, there is definitely a, a, there's dollars to be made here. You're you right. referenced last week the four quadrant idea and sure hitting the lowest common denominator, and I think that's where we are with this, this movie. Yeah. It's like a two quadrant film. Yeah, but it, you but only need two really for what it's doing. It's doing it. I mean that's the thing. It's it's getting it done. I mean you you want your yeah. big action sure. movie. You want yeah. it set in sort of this sort of you know political kind of geopolitical kind of frame. Yeah. I you, do really like the opening siege. If you want to see dozens of foreigners die, it's got it. Oh, God, that's a stark way to phrase it. But yeah, I mean that's what not, happens in this movie. You're not wrong. You're not and, wrong. But you want to see one guy efficiently distribute the violence and go through the White House and do all the things and you know be the monkey in the wrench uh, to quote Bruce Willis. And there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like if you're gonna slide. Your, you know, uh, put your dip in your, your lip and just really enjoy the tacticalness of this film. Just if that's what you're thinking about is your, your Oakleys uh, and your, your fucking chest holster. Uh, this, yeah, your, your, your sling for your AR. This is your movie, dude. Yeah. This is tier one operative badass, just like there are no more cowboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this I, I get what you're saying. And on that level, this movie works. It is, and, and, and you know, honestly, it's watchable. Charmander yeah. is believably tough. Believably tough. Again, the one-liners are a little clunky here and there. His delivery is not awesome, but the lines are, they, they still sort of remain. And so despite the fact that they don't really work in the moment, you sort of remember them. And go, oh, you know. uh, there's a few I remember that I wish I didn't. Yeah, uh, so it's got that going. But the problems of the movie are huge. I mean, the body count itself, the fact that there 168, is 168. I think I looked it up. It's it's yeah ridiculous. The 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 recreation of 9/11 with a plane accident in the uh, White House or the the, the Washington Mall is r- morally reprehensible. Frankly, I mean, it's just it really is just immorally just wrong uh, to do that. Um, and, and and so, yeah, it, th- that's all a mess. And then, again, the, the way in which you know you create these sort of nationalistic boogeymen, it's doing that kind of stuff as well that I, I, I find to be, you know, the, the, it's, it's an immoral film. It's a deeply post-9-11 movie. It absolutely is. Um, performance-wise, though, I mean, again, the other stuff, it works. Butler works. Aaron Eckhart works. Dylan McDermott is doing what Dylan McDermott does, which I think, honestly, is a miscast because he's sure. Dylan McDermott. And that's what you assume. I have some thoughts on like his big scene when we get to spoiler territory, but I, I agree that's a weird one. Angela Bassett's great. Angela Bassett is always. Great. You know why she took this movie? Why? One work with Morgan. One with Morgan. Yeah. So the legends say. Well, I mean, I, I would do just about anything to hang out with Morgan Freeman for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather hang out with Angela, but yeah, it's I, a I, weird world that Ashley Judd has worked with Morgan Freeman more than Angela Bassett. I am fucking furious about the usage of Ashley Judd in this movie. We'll get there. I am too. <sighs> She's great, but I yeah, and I love her. But so yeah, lots and lots of stuff that's really, really problematic. But you know, again, insanely watchable, which is sort of the insidious way that ideology works. And so probably more on that later. But well, there will be more on that later. But are, do you have more thoughts in your review? I guess the one quibble I have with that, I guess, uh, I don't know. I'm not. There's like a big fight scene uh, about the end of the second act in this film, and it was the first time I made a fight scene note, and I was shocked that, you know, usually when we watch action movies like this, I make a note or two every fight scene, uh, and I realized, oh, this is a 
this is the first time I made one. And I thought about it a little bit harder. I was like, oh, that's right. Because there's about 30 cuts in every fight scene. And yeah. they're all a little too short. I don't know. This is a, this is a gun movie, not a fight movie. Uh, but God, the fights in this look bad. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's that's maybe why I'm not like uh, having as much fun. I'm not able to see past the stuff about this movie that frustrates me. Because while the action's competent, I'm not going to say it's bad. Fuqua knows how to shoot action. It's just not anything spectacular, right? It's got a little bit of like pre-John Wickness to it. There is that kind of fun scene where... The, the people sieging the White House and the Secret Service are all like uh, like BJJ gunfighting each other. And that's pretty cool, but that's about... It's because it's all stuntmen. You just mm-hmm. you have stunt folk in front of the camera, you can just have them fight each other. It looks tight. But that's about the only time that we really see like any really interesting hand-to-hand combat in this film, despite the fact that there's you know quite a few hand-to-hand fight scenes in this film. And it's just none of it... None of them land, I guess. Right. And that's why I'm not... While it is watchable in that like... The way that, you know, a, a good... A competently made action film is watchable. Uh, I'm not able to be, uh, you know, turn my brain off to the dumb shit in this movie that pisses me off because it's the action's not good enough, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I, I don't think, again, most palettes when it comes to action violence are as sophisticated as yours, Dalton. Uh, I have put a lot of it in my eyeballs, unfortunately. And, and so I, I think that's part of, I mean, the movie does enough to do it, you know. I guess like that's it, fair. It does enough to do it. And um, it, 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 there, you want to make your Chuck Norris movie with Gerard Butler? Then they've done that. And so, yeah. Gerard does got, have a couple of cool movies. There's that one where he grabs that guy's leg and does that, like, flip takedown. Mm-hmm. That's pretty tight. Yeah. So, but otherwise, though, it's morally reprehensible, and therefore, I can't get behind it. And we'll probably talk about that more, won't we, Dustin? It'll come up later, but not quite yet. Let's talk about making this movie part of a class. I don't know what the class is. Jingoism 101, perhaps, might be what you're teaching. <laughs> um, how, you know, how, how to, how to um, be part mm, of the... Uh, how rebel- to indoctrinate fascists. Yeah, um, those kinds of classes. Um, propaganda, 1203. Uh, but anyway, uh, what class are you teaching, and how are you using white... Mm-mm. Olympus has fallen. I See knew that. one of us would do it. And I almost, yeah, too close. Uh, Olympus has fallen. What are you doing, Arthur? We'll get through this, guys. Uh, I think I would do a little bit of a star study with Gerard Butler, because uh, I think he's had a fascinating career. Real uh, real interesting. Yeah, and if Aaron Eckhart is our modern-day Greg Kinnear, I think Gerard Butler is our modern-day Mel Gibson. I love his musicals. Now, mm, I think he's more of a modern-day Chuck. I don't know. I, okay, I think, I'll, I'll hear the case. So I would start here. There, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, prior to 300, when we'll get to 300. Uh, and I would think I would start, though, with Timeline, the Michael Crichton sci-fi yeah. adaptation with Paul Walker. Like uh, where he's just 99? Yeah, somewhere in there, early, maybe early 2000s. Okay. You know, but it's, you know, pre-Gerard Butler. Sure. You know, he's still kind of a side character. He's not a main character. He's a main character, but he's not a, the main protagonist of sure. that film. Um, but he, you know, he kind of starts to set himself up into this action genre. Uh, after that, he does Phantom of the Opera uh, with... Uh, Oh my gosh, uh, Schumacher! I a, Schumacher! I, yeah, I did right. not realize he actually did a musical. Okay. Oh, he's the Phantom. Uh, yeah, I knew he was in Phantom. I, forgot I made a Schumacher musical joke it. because I just thought it'd be stupid to see him in a musical. How's he? How's he do? Is he sing well? I don't think he's well regarded. Uh, I don't remember though. It's been okay. a long time since I've seen gotcha. the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, it'd be fun to do it on the show, frankly. Uh, but yeah, finding out Gerard Butler is the Phantom is a fascinating uh, facet of sure. You know, in hindsight, being like, oh wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's kind of doing these off the cuff things. He hasn't really settled into a trajectory of big a action star gerard butler uh, then he follows that obviously with 300 where he does kind of cement himself with this somewhat iconic role as leonidas he's in good in that movie yeah uh, and it is you know very well received in certain circles as a stalwart of action cinema in the 2000s god it makes a bunch of money too yeah uh kind of 
brings Frank Miller and in, uh, into the mix, and it's really interesting in that regard. Uh, but it, it's kind of his Mad Max moment, really. He cements himself in this kind of sure. iconic action role as, as an action star. I think um, after that, we see him do Rock and Rolla. Uh, we see him start to start doing, a movie you know has a soft spot. Yeah, in my heart. I love it. And, you know, Guy Ritchie's uh, one of my favorite Guy Ritchie movies. I think. I think it. I know it's kind of like poorly regarded in his memoir. I think it might be my favorite. It's just got such a great cast, though. I mean, that that elevates it, I think, quite a it's bit. It's got a great soundtrack, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he really starts to move into those those models and modes. Uh, and then he kind of does the thing where he starts doing some melodrama stuff, some romantic comedies, and, and I would go into P.S. I Love You. It's <laughs> <laughs> got one of the best 30 Rock jokes ever. Oh, my God. Um and the ugly truth, which is kind of his "what women want" moment, where he's him and Heigl, right? Yeah, I guess to be this kind of misogynistic um, rom-com male lead. Uh, and, and have you ever seen that one? Or is this? I've just... seen the ugly truth. I've okay. seen that. I think I saw Bounty Hunter, the one with Jennifer Aniston as well. That's right. Yeah, they, man, they really, they really tried, tried to, to make him. him yeah, yeah, they tried to make him this rom-com star. It doesn't quite work. Just he's like too Gibson. gruff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so he goes back into action. And so from there, uh, I want to focus in on this. Just like Olympus has fallen, uh, this mid-budget action thriller star that he's become and really cemented himself. I mm. mean, almost every year, every other year, we get a Gerard Butler action movie. Uh, but I would go with Gamer. I would go with Hunter Killer, uh, one of his more recent ones with mm. Gary Oldman. Uh, and I'd also go with Geostorm, <laughs> uh, just to kind of round it what out. What a trailer that film had. I mean, you could really pick and plug. I mean... There's a lot of yeah, films you could just a lot of these in, in the last few years where he's just some standard action guy doing action things films you're shocked didn't go straight but to red box feels like that real patriot payback revenge uh mo- mo- mode of uh, uh gibson's career yeah and it feels sure. like they kind of line up you know obviously we can talk about merits of who's better or whatever we don't want to get into that mm-hmm. uh but it does kind of feel like he's got that similar trajectory of not quite an action star becomes a mega icon in the action genre tries to get out of that and then he gets dragged back into that and that's really where he's found his bread and butter is these mid-range action movies. Yeah, especially in a, a you know, couple of decades removed from Gibson's career. Yeah. A time when like star quality, like being a movie star, quote unquote, is like a, yeah. a much different thing than it was in the 80s and 90s. And I think a big draw of that is that kind of 80s machismo he brings. I mean, he's very gruff. Like you yeah. mentioned, he's got a, that great build of an 80s action star. He doesn't look like Bruce Willis. He doesn't I look think. like those 90s Action guys, he looks more in the camp of Stallone or yeah, he's not a post Bruce Willis yeah. or post Keanu action star. He's yeah, he's he's a dude that like I'm I'm pretty sure he fucked he's, me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like that guy's been a bar the fight. Guy's stacked. Yeah, yeah, he's stacked and jacked. That's a dude I, you shoot, you don't fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm curious. Uh, Indiana Jones. I'm excited yeah, when we eventually get to Den of Thieves on this podcast because we have to. Yeah. We will get to that film. Uh, I, I'm. I'm really excited to watch that film because that gruffness you're talking about in him, Arthur, like seems to serve him as a villain so well. Yeah. Like he's got a rogue quality to him, and the fact yeah. that he doesn't get cast as villains more is really yeah. shocking. I can, to me. I think that, and God of Egypt is the other one where That's he true. gets to play the bad guy, but it's very rare. I mean, they yeah. really do slot him in as this good guy, but which I, is weird because he seems like a fucking asshole. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they, yeah. I don't know that he is, but he just seems so gruff. He just comes off like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it'd be really interesting to evaluate that latter period of these mid-range action movies in light of the masculinity that he brings to film and i think it is really that throwback quality that a lot of people flock to i think that's what makes these movies this trilogy this fallen trilogy such a success is that he is a 
uh, retro styled action star. And if you miss that eighties action, if you know, like my dad, I think would love Gerard Butler movies. Oh, my my dad would. Uh, yeah, I think right he would have loved him. I, he loves Seagal. He loved Chuck Norris. And I think yep. Gerard I think Butler my is dad a guy too would have loved him. Yeah, would just slated right in there is yeah. to fill that that niche that's really because he didn't like Willis. He doesn't like Reeves. Yeah, but I think he would have really connected with a Gerard Butler. And I think talking about that type of masculinity he brings in, we could even talk about Machine Gun Preacher. Oh yeah, which is a really weird movie. You know, I didn't see it. Talking Based about on a real this, guy. Yeah, talking about this. Yeah, I, I can't remember the story. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, this rough and gruff missionary type. Uh, does stuff with guns. I don't remember. Yeah, Save Child Soldiers, I think. Uh, yeah. I don't know how true the film is. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. They they did a press screening here. I saw it, and then they decided not to open the movie here. Whoa. So, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think there's really something interesting to tap into in his regards to the conversation about his masculinity and that machismo. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Dalton might pick up on some of that machismo himself. All right. Well, let's go on to Dalton. In his class, not in his personal life. Oh, no. In my personal life, I have picked up on way too much machismo <laughs> from these films. Uh, and I've had to work on that. Uh, yeah. So I, Arthur's right. I am going to be looking at that, obviously, because I think the coaching tree of uh, of siege films, both films where the protagonist is being sieged and where they have to siege uh, unrelenting forces, is really, really interesting. Um, and Dustin, you kind of made a propaganda joke earlier. All of these films do kind of fall in a a, a mode of, of copaganda uh, in some regard. Whoa, uh, copaganda. Copaganda. I love that word. Well, it's a good word to use in your, your vocabulary. But uh, all of these films are, are related and yet extremely different from each other. Because it's not, I, I don't know, there's this vein in action cinema that definitely starts in the 80s, but doesn't really, I think, come into fruition until uh, around this era, around 2013, in, in the post-9-11 era. Uh, in the era where warfare is so focused on uh, either you know autonomous drone warfare or small insertion you know tier one operatives right and this this further uh, conflation of uh, military operatives and law enforcement operatives and, and that cross training that becomes such a big part of those worlds uh, I think is really interesting and, and like there's there's different kinds of of masculinity machismo machismo like happening. You know, we, we, we do conflate because of the militarization of police and the military tactics uh, that have been used, uh, you know, all over the world, literally all over the world, that have come back home. We do kind of tend to conflate, but I think there are interesting divisions within, like, law enforcement masculinity and, and military masculinity. Uh, and, and again, obviously, there's even more complicated gender stuff happening outside of masculinity and the ways in which uh, certain masculine uh, ideas and tropes are both uh, taken on and and subverted by people within those organizations. I, I think it's interesting stuff. And so we are going to be looking at a, a coaching tree of this this type of film. Uh, and obviously Die Hard is kind of the er text, but it does go back further than that. Uh, I think we have to start at Escape from New York uh, and Rambo. And I definitely want to start with those two films because those are guys that are not within these systems that we were just talking about, right? Like Rambo is a veteran, uh, but he is, uh, you know, plagued by the actions that he, uh, the, the things that he had to endure in the theater of war. Uh, and it is all about him trying to escape from the American system in some way. And an escape from New York is all about a, a dystopian American system uh, and a guy who refuses to play by its rules despite his, you know, very clear, uh, you know, military uh, combat experience. Um, so I, I think those films are really interesting and, again, do kind of start this genre of uh, one-man army films. Uh, and that is where I think this conversation about, you know, uh, law enforcement and military masculinity uh, d- does come into the picture, right? Even though these guys are not, you know, explicitly agents of a police state uh, in those films, they are definitely 
facets of it. Uh, but then we'll move to Die Hard and in one of its most notable knockoffs under Siege, uh, speaking of Steven Seagal. Uh, and I think that's really where this kind of thing starts, right? Uh, and under Siege, Steven Seagal is a, a former Navy SEAL who's now a cook. And his Navy SEALness is like just used as a catch-all for why he's such a damn badass. And I think that in the early 90s is where we start to see this idea that uh, uh, the clandestine operatives uh, of the military um, are just unstoppable uh, one-man killing machines. And I think uh, it further mutates and changes. And the thing that's so interesting to me about that is you have different depictions of this, right? So you've got these guys like Jocko. I can't remember his last name, but he's a very famous Navy SEAL. Uh, who has, you know, a bunch of YouTube channels and is part of kind of this tactical thing that I was talking about earlier, right? Like, you can go on Instagram and find all kinds of of uh, fucking black straps and cool shit for your guns, uh, and that is kind of this facet of this hero worship we have for these Tier 1 operators, which is not to say these are not talented individuals in the distribution of violence, but they will tell you they work as a team, right? Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars of training you have, a fucking 308 through your noggin will kill you. That, that's just what happens. And that's why these guys train so hard to be a unit. And that's why I find so interesting about these films is because they are all about, especially White House Down. Or, <laughs> there it is again. Olympus has fallen. We've got to go for a third one at some point. That's what's so interesting about these films, right, is they are so focused on this kind of Hollywood individualistic uh, hero stuff um, that it's weird to see them being, you know, again, say what you will uh, about the militarization of law enforcement and, and uh, the adaptation of military tactics to American streets. These are all people who are, are like code and like fraternity and like all of that shit is very important in these worlds. And to see all these films where that doesn't really factor in and is in fact treated kind of weirdly at best, I think is very interesting. Uh, we got off on a tangent there about kind of what this class would look like, uh, so I'll go and rattle off the rest of the films. Uh, we're even going to look at the later era of these where it's become a trope to riff on this kind of movie after the trope solidified with those top four. So we'll look at Lockout, a film we've discussed on the show a million years ago uh, that is a direct ripoff of both Die Hard and Escape from New York somehow. Uh, we'll look at the double-hander of The Raid Redemption and Dread from 2012, kind of a reverse Die Hard getting out of a place situation. Uh, we'll then be looking at, of course, Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down together as a unit because you can't not... Uh, and I think there's lots of interesting parallels and contradictions in those. And then we'll also look at The Old Guard, uh, the film that just came out on Netflix this year. Uh, and while that film only has, like, you know, there's a uh, a rescue thing at the end of the film that's very kind of Matrix-inspired, it feels like, uh, you know, the being stuck in some place or having to get in or out of a place is not, like, the main focus of The Old Guard. But I think it is kind of the er example of this sort of, like, hero warrior as superhero. Because obviously in The Old Guard, they're literally superheroes. And it's weird to go from Rambo and Escape from New York, one film kind of more dramatic, one film pulpier, but both grounded in heroes that can get hurt and killed and beat up real bad and go all the way through to Old Guard where nobody can get hurt. And they actually deal with that as opposed to in White House Down. Uh, there it is, the third one, as opposed uh -huh. to Olympus Has Fallen, where Gerard Butler like has a Christ-like side wound that is just like not dealt with at all. <laughs> like the Die Hard homages here, are just like they don't understand. Like the stepping on glass is such a huge thing in Die Hard. Again, uh, the or example, human fragility and like the pain you would take upon your body for other people is such a big part. That kind of uh, the, those Christly wounds are such a big part of these early action films in this kind of subgenre. And to watch wounds and death become such a non-issue in the post-9-11 era of these types of films is really interesting. Especially, again, I think Dread and The Raid Redemption, which really kind of get into 
the messiness and grossness of uh, militarized law enforcement. I think even those, even the Raid Redemption, which is not really involved, interested in politics at all, still has more going on in it, weirdly, than this film. Uh, and Dread, obviously, specifically. So again, those are kind of the films we'll look at. We'll also probably look at David Grossman uh, and his book, Killology, which was required reading for the cast of The Old Guard to kind of understand the the weight of murder. And uh, while David Grossman's uh, law enforcement trainings are suspect and gross, and part of the masculinity will be interrogating, I think there's a lot of value to be had there. And I know we've talked about Killology on the show before, but I, I think there's value in that text. I don't think he was actually a combat veteran, which is a kind of a weird thing for him to make his bones on his, of his career on but i think that aspect of like uh trying to teach dealing with killing as an aspect of masculinity is really interesting um so that that's the class uh, i know we went on some tangents there but it, there's a lot to think about when we're, we're engaging with this aspect of these kind of movies very good very good thank you very much for that mr dalton stewart so the class i would be teaching i'm not sure what class it would be but um, I know what the module. Uh, it okay. might be a, might be a class just on ideology itself, ideology critique, um, sort of the broad uh, theory itself. I had trouble with that. Whether this class was an ideology thing or a gender thing, and I think it's more of a, a gender thing. But it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of hard to extricate the two, especially for this movie. Right, and and so with, with regard to reading, I think overall in a class like this, we'd be reading Louis Althusser and, and sort of ideological apparatus theory. I mean, that would be the, I think the place to begin. Uh, for that, so that would be what we would read, um, and then the particular ideology uh, critique, or uh, sort of just again seeing the code of the Matrix, sort of they live style, um, and you know thinking as they live is like the er movie of ideology critique. You put on the glasses, now you see the messages that are hidden. That's what we're trying to do here. And I would call this module uh, that I would use Olympus Has Fallen in um, Fealty to the King. Okay, uh, yeah. That there, there, there are these set of films uh, in which, uh, specifically using Secret Service agents or their like, um, no, there'll be one exception here, but we'll get to that in a moment, uh, in which uh, it's all about... Films you know, about King's Guards, King's Guards, and that reinforce this idea of once you have that good guy, that good one, Whatever it takes is what needs to be done in order to protect uh, him. It's always him. Yeah. Uh, from whatever may so obviously guarding Tess is not going to find its way into this particular uh, set of films, but to to protect that one person and keep that uh, person on the throne, which is interesting, right? And that's why I, I mentioned the killology, right? This the sheepdog wolf sheep thing that mm -hmm. is part of that ideology does seem more centered, even though it is all about distribution of violence, it at very least tries to theoretically be centered on protection. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in these Kingsguard movies that that protection is like moved from like the masses to this one person, well, this one dude who's super mm -hmm. important. Right. And so uh, Olympus has fallen, Dully does that. You know, he's going to, again, basically commit massive acts of violence, you know, massacre many, many, many people in order to protect him, and also, to a lesser extent, his son, Sparkplug, right? The the the, the son, which is a great uh, Secret Service code uh, for that. It is, it's adorable. It's cute. Uh, so do those kind of things. But again, it's all in the... In the interest of protecting this one most important human being um then also dennis quaid's vantage point i think is an interesting film forgot uh, about to, that to, movie to throw in the mix there which has got the same kind of you know secret service very very dedicated but it's a bunch of different perspectives right bunch of perspectives ways the story is told but i mean there's only one perspective the movie has sure it's just you know seeing the events as they take place is the yeah. the multiple vantage points. yeah it's it's really the oh god what was the name of the jfk uh papers jfk 
Oh no, the uh, the fucking uh, thing, the Warren Commission. Oh yeah, it's the Warren Commission as a as a movie. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. But it's got the a uh, very much, and I, I watched this movie for the very first time with a British um, citizen, and so uh, got done watching the movie, and Simon says, uh, so, oh, "That's funny." His name's Simon. That's cute. And he says, uh, he's a, I just want to put my hand on my heart and say, God bless America. <laughs> you know, because it, this movie is just so much about that. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's kind of a, the whole thing with a lot of our action movies, huh? Right, yeah. And so it's it, it very, any you know, of this sort of, you know, yes, Mr. President is like this last line that Dennis Quaid has. And it, it's about how much they just love each other. And I forget who plays the president uh, in that film, but I didn't look it up. But that, that's a good movie to use. And then lastly, I think I want to use Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Totally. Uh, which is a, less about a secret service agent, but it is about being sort of uh, being betrayed, uh, like Dylan McDermott, um, by secret service. And that, you know, again, the one good man, if you have the one good man in the one good place, then it's great. And uh, again, whatever needs to be done, and that the, the bad guys will do whatever it takes. This is the other side of the ideology critique. They will do whatever it takes and go to incredible lengths in order to take that one man down. And therefore, you know, you need to have people dedicated in place to, you know, again, keep the king on his throne, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And so, yeah, that would be the class. Well, I think we have uh, presented some classes that... uh are going to uh, bleed very nicely into the thing we came here to do. Yeah, let's get down to business, y'all. It's business. It's business time. And that business is, as always, analysis. And, I mean, there are so many ways to go and so many things to hit. Um, and I don't know what you are most chomping at the bit to tackle. I mean, we can sort of begin by engaging this film in that point-counterpoint because this film does have the Armageddon uh, deep impact, also featuring Morgan Freeman, uh, sort of issue uh, going along with it that is being released at the same time as White House Down, which I have not seen. Well, let's go ahead and start there then because, yeah. yeah, I think that that's one of the things that White House Down very wisely does that this film fails to do. There is also a child in that film. There's also a child in that film who's kind of an expert on, like, White House history and White House hidden passages and shit. Great move. The difference is, in that film, that child is uh, uh, Channing Tatum, uh, who's like a Metro PD guy who wants to be Secret Service agent. So in both films, they're not actually Secret Service agents who have to perform in the role of Secret Service, which is, that's pretty interesting that those these films have that through line. But uh, having the kid in danger be the president's son in this film, it just... We know that the bad guys need to get that kid, and it just, I don't know, it, there's a plot stakes to that kid being safe, but there's not really emotional stakes to the kid being safe. Like, Gerard Butler doesn't sell his emotion, his relationship with that kiddo, uh, really at all. And also, that kiddo's not as interesting as uh, Jamie King. Wait, is Jamie King, is that the name of that the kid actress? Or kid actor who's, I think... Joey almost, King? Joey King, thank you. Joey King plays Channing Tatum's kiddo. Gotcha. In, well, I, yeah, in that film. And uh, is great. Is fantastic mm-hmm. in the role. And her and Channing Tatum have great, like, believable parent-child chemistry. Uh, and, and they work really well together. And, and like, there's also this buddy-buddy uh, cop relationship that develops between Jamie Foxx and Channing Tatum in that film. And, and centering that, the, the siege on the White House within those interpersonal relationships just gives that film, despite it you know, being much sillier, much more self-effacing, a much more PG-13 action film, it gives it much more weight, dramatically speaking. Like, the self-serious gore of this film is really weird when the tone is so... Um, I, don't, I don't need... Half-smiling? The, 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 there never does really... Die Hard does 
drama and comedy so well. And this film, I, I don't know, it never finds a footing in either one. Really. Well, I think that's the thing, right? I, I was alluding to is that the, the the quips of this film, they're the writing, yeah, of Die Hard, yeah, and the comedy writing of Die Hard, and the timing of Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, yeah, is what really sells that comedy. I think, and here, Reginald Bell Johnson too, like yeah, three oh, people yeah. who are very good at comedy, and you don't have any comedians in this movie. No. You have a bunch of action people yeah. who've only done action-type stuff, and the one guy who's done comedy... Has to be super serious. Yeah. Well, Angel Bassett's done a little comedy, too, but also has to be super serious. Yeah. yeah, the people who like have the ability to give this film levity don't have that leeway yeah. in their roles. And there are a few times where he delivers quips through the movie, but they just... They don't land because of the way he delivers well, them. And the quips are dumb shit like, I asked him nicely. Yeah, or uh, in English, after I stab you. Like, yeah. uh, f- and for the record, uh, it is the official position of this podcast that torture doesn't work. Uh, Correct. And when it does, it, that Intel's questionable at best. Uh, but yeah, like the quips are usually Gerard Butler saying, fuck you, uh, or something there. Uh, they're like it. I don't know. It, it's it's just not very funny. And the pathos isn't there. And it's, again, it, it wants to do the thing that Die Hard does. It just doesn't find a way to do them. I don't know. I, 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 we're basically making the same point. I'm just, uh, yeah. I, I'm flummoxed by, I don't know how easy I guess it is to screw that up. Because um, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of diehard knockoffs, and I think there's a, well, a lot Lockdown's of good ones. A good one, I th- example yeah, of that. I think, where I think it does. You, you know, it does kind of have that satirical tone that works, and I think this doesn't really. It, it feels like it wants to be that '80s action movie and not be a kind of postmodern take on it. And I think that's in the, the shortcomings there. Yeah, I think Gerard Butler's just not charming enough, maybe? Because uh, Guy Pierce is a big part of why Lockdown works. And so does, maybe that's what it yeah, is. Does Dylan McDermott as... Well, and that's the thing that's frustrating, right? As, no, as, you know, if you put Dylan McDermott in the lead role... I think it's better. Is that the you know the better uh, option? Well, or at the very least... Or Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I, at the very least, he needs to be smarmier, right? Like, Dylan McDermott kind of works as the, the, the tre- treacherous former friend... Like, I, I don't know, Dustin, I disagree. I think he's really well cast in this as far as, like, being the, the Weasley guy. But you always know he's going to, I mean... That's, yeah, you it, know it he's going to flip. Right. And I, yeah. Well, and I think casting in this film is kind of good, though. Like, Ashley Judd, as furious as I am when they kill her, I think that's probably why she's in this film. Because mm-hmm. it's somebody, we as audiences have an immediate... I can't snap loud enough for the mic to pick it up today. <laughs> There's an immediate connection, right? Audiences love Ashley Judd. Right. You don't have to... Okay, she's the first lady. Makes sense. Got it. What? Like, yeah, sure, I get that. And same with Dylan McDermott, right? Like, oh, he's smarmy. Mm-hmm. But they don't really even do anything with his smarminess. Like, that's the thing. I mean, we, you know, you mentioned they telegraph it, but yeah, there's no really his, neither his heel turn nor his face turn feel earned. Yeah, and the de- the way they're deployed is so weird, right? Like, you yeah. expect like a much better, much longer fight between the two of them, or a much better, much more interesting like game of mental chess. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those things is very like it's it's a five minute scene total probably yeah uh, and it's like a, a shitty fight and a shitty banter and it's very frustrating to watch neither of those because it's that's a cool thing like just from an action movie pacing standpoint that's that should be a big moment the yeah. fact that the the former brother the traitor like that showdown should be a huge deal and it's just a big wet fart and McDermott movie. is or whatever. <laughs> Whatever his name is, Butler or McDermott? McDermott, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I thought that was wrong for something wrong. I, I'm. Just... It's been that kind of week, man. <laughs> they are the two servicemen with the least connection. Yeah. Like, even in the beginning, there are multiple other servicemen who would have made more sense in that traitor role because they have a greater connection with Butler and, and the movie. McDermott's got like one line. 
is already established as kind of a j- jerk because he you know he wants, to go, home and he wants to go home and watch Breaking Bad. Wasn't yeah. that his whole deal? Yeah, yeah. they well, told him not to hit on the babysitter. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. But I mean, there's no real connection between him yeah. or anybody else in the movie, so it's weird that he's the big reveal traitor of that. Well, I think Arthur, what you're speaking to is is kind of a big issue with like the machismo of this film. It prevents it from having any emotional depth with any relationship, uh, mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, okay, I get it. Not every, you know, you, you don't want uh, too many feelings in your action movie. Some feelings in your action movie make a good action movie. That's, I'm sorry, that's how it works. Right. I, I understand that it's it's more fun when it's constant shoot-em-ups, but even in something like John Wick, there is, like, this feeling of existential dread of, like, why find a reason to live in this terrible, terrible crime world that I live in? Like, there's still some emotional heft, even in something like, again, like John, the John Wick franchise, which is constant gunfire and constant violence. There is still an emotional, like, vulnerability to both of those films and Keanu Reeves' performance that, like, sell it and make you invested in what's going on. I don't give a... And maybe it's because I don't give a shit about this fictional president, or really any president for that matter. Uh, who Who gives a shit? And that's that's kind of the there's no like the emotional through line is Gerard Butler's love for the president. There's a lot of him and and for them wanting to save the president at the risk of millions of other people. Right. Well, well, I mean, yeah. yeah the, and there's the, there's the Cerberus a, thing is a, is, a, is a good reason you know nuclear holocaust. Sure. But which you know good when the world's at stake nothing's at stake though right mm-hmm. and White House Down is just some people that this guy likes about likes and doesn't want them to die. Uh, it is funny you bring that up, though, Arthur, because uh, somebody thought to add in the IMDb trivia, quote, almost by definition, the president of the United States cannot be held hostage. The moment he is overpowered and unable to function, he is no longer the president. This is why the United States is a country of institutions and laws, not individuals, which is a very cute, very naive thing to put on IMDb. Yeah. But from a, you know, credulity standpoint, you're right, Arthur. Like, yes, OK, fine. He's basically you have to consider him dead and then operate yeah. from that. I mean, it's the it's the 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 trolley conundrum. Do I, you know, do we save the president because he's the president, or do we save millions of people and democracy, or you know, whatever government institution you want to call it? But yeah, but well, and that's again another point in White House Down's favor. The president is with the the action protagonist for like the duration of the film. There is a clear cut. This dude has to get this dude from A to B. Not this dude has to get to B where this dude is being held at. They make the president, uh, you know, the princess in the castle. But again, yeah, just they even acknowledge it within the text of the film. It doesn't really make any sense other than the Cerberus thing, which they get to. But boy, howdy, is it a long time before they get to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, th- there's another thing I think that's in terms of differences that you've alluded to, again, having not seen White House Down, that it's a little bit more politically nuanced. There's a little bit more going on yeah, there. It's not that much more nuanced. There's just more going on, probably. Yeah, but there's something, you know, strongly nationalistic, strongly xenophobic, sure. strongly jingoistic in this film. And I think, really, it comes down to the uh, uh, recreation of the 9-11 uh, plane attacks uh, with, uh, again, I, I'm really, really bothered by this. Yeah, yeah um, we get the assault on the Washington Monument and then the, the mall. Well, the assu- yeah, the assault on the White House and then they crash into the mall and the... And, and they recreate some of the you know footage of you know the plane hitting the tower the imagery. And, I mean, yeah. it's you know it's, there's it's, definitely some echoing yeah. on the nose sure. for what they're doing there. And the the frame then what it does is that you know we have you know terrorists, we have uh, enemies that mm-hmm. we have to sort of seek out, and to go ahead and extrapolate that to North Koreans. I think that's the crazy thing is that anybody could be our 9-11 enemies is the suggestion that the film is making. Well, it's a film, the suggestion, a lot of films from like this post 9-11 brick of years is about like anybody could do it. 
which is kind of the thing that Le- White House Down has going on that's less nuanced, is that sort of, it could be anybody fear. The but nuance there is... They're you, right-wing extremists. There's though, a, right? Well, it's it's white-wing... White, <laughs> white-wing? Yeah, there you go. It's been a week. Right-wing... Well, look, I said what I meant, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's right-wing extremists, but they're also working alongside like other factions that you'd, you'd uh. be surprised for. The, it's, a, it's a cabal of different entities who want to... Uh, uh, d- take out this particular president for a particular reason, or some sort of like world stabilization subplot that he wants some some policy thing he wants to do. That's the specific reason they want this guy, which is I, I guess maybe another interesting facet is there is like a le- like the 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 uh, North Korean aligned terrorists in this film don't really care about this particular president. They care about the crimes of America, which is, I guess one interesting facet of this film is a. Uh, uh, Rick Yoon, I think, is the actor's name who who plays the heavy here. Uh, he gets kind of a lot to do, and I think he's really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think he sells this idea of like, now you will know famine and hunger. Like, I think that's that's some interesting stuff going on there. Like, you intervene in the civil war; it was not your place to intervene in. Your chickens have come home to roost. Yeah. I can't remember that there being a lot of that in White House Down per se. So I, I don't know. I think that aspect of it's kind of interesting. I don't know that it really is going to play to the target audience of this film, though. Yeah. Okay, um, so other big themes um, that are going on in the movie. We've already talked about the fealty to the king thing. Um, I, I, I think it's a particular use of refrigeration here that's interesting. That yeah, we're gonna, Ashley Judd. We're going to kill Ashley Judd, but the way we're going to kill her is that Gerard Butler has to make the choice to let her die so he can save the king, or the yeah. president in this yeah. case. But it, The for, king. Yeah, but it still remains basically a refrigeration story, though. After that, yeah, and uh, I, totally, I, I don't know if we want to do anything more with that other than simply to name drop that you know she's dead and that we use her death to be a motivator. And yeah, no, it, it, even that doesn't feel like a huge motivator because it's not a revenge thing. No, it just motivates. It's, it, it motivates him personally that he has to make up for his shortcomings. There it is. Yeah, yeah. and that's and it, that's. Uh, but it ties back into the same uh, save the king thing you're talking about. Like the only thing that Gerard Butler is motivated by in this film is his ability to be the best boot he can be. Mm-hmm. And that's just not an interesting movie. Right. There's nothing there. And I know that that's maybe, I don't know, maybe this that's enough for some people. It's not enough for me. I, I just, I don't, especially in a fictional film in which such super heroic acts take place from a ostensibly like regular dude uh, it doesn't matter, again, how much training you've had in the world. Like People are still people and they're soft and squishy and fragile uh at the end of the day and yeah this dude just like shrugs off massive wounds like they're no big deal uh and the same way i mean again Die Hard's not exempt from this like the Die Hard sequels do that right like we start with this kind of very interesting subgenre of action movie that are all about like tough people being like put in vulnerable situations where they have very little power but we have this inability uh as a film going, you know, a filmmaking uh, public Hollywood, I guess, uh, there's just not an ability to stay in that pocket. And maybe it's 9-11, maybe it's the explosion of superhero movies, maybe it's both. But for whatever reason, throughout the late uh, aughts and early 2010s, this type of story keeps being recycled and we keep finding ways to make it super heroic in some capacity. Um, even The Raid, which, I, you know, I name-checked as one with, you know, emotional stakes and, you know, in, in, you know, being punched in the face seems like it hurts in that movie. Uh, it's still pretty super heroic in terms of right. the fight choreography. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's just weird to watch the subgenre of action movies like mutate into something that's not really recognizable from where it started. For sure, for sure. And I think maybe it is the the, the superhero uh, boom that kind of like 
feeds into it. Like it's non-superheroic action movies seeing the success of superhero films and that kind of mode of filmmaking saying, well, we got to grab, I guess we need bigger explosions. Is that what we need? Do we need more death? Is that what we need? And and I, I think the the very specific 80s action movie mode that you're talking about, Arthur, it just doesn't jive with that kind of like mass destruction and mass death. It feels too icky. It, yeah. it feels, you know, in Die Hard, like 20 people die, right? Like every death feels like it has consequence. So that was part yeah. of why I name-checked The Old Guard, a film that's got a lot, a huge body count, but like they... Uh, uh, there is a way that that film finds a way to frame pain and death as like consequential, and this film just doesn't have the capacity to do that. And again, with the Gerard Butler Christ wound thing, right? It seems like it's gonna like they make a big point of him pulling out a piece of wood out of his side. They kind of make it seem like it's gonna come up later on, and it never does. Right, for sure. It's not like he gets punched in the side a bunch in that final fight. No, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> His Achilles heel. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you expect something like that to happen. Uh, here's an interesting thing. Uh, obviously, we talk about it on the show all the time that you can't trust IMDb, but it is a fun place to, to go. Uh, watching this movie, I was under the assumption that to write a screenplay like this, you probably had to like clear it with the DOD or something, right? Like you can't just make a movie about trying to kill the president. Like you have to talk to somebody about that, especially if you want access to airplanes and stuff. Uh, so I was like, well, I don't know. Surely you have to like send them a, a script and go. This wouldn't work, right? You have to like send them a plan that wouldn't work so they can approve it. It turns out, according to IMDb, this movie was written by uh, partially by getting in touch with former Secret Service agents and trying to figure out, like, okay, if you had to do it, though, how would you do it? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. So, I don't know, educational content. Uh, I'm not – look, I, I, that's just what I read. I don't know if that's Hypothetically true. speaking, that, that's if a, I wanted to siege the White House. How would I do it? Apparently, that's part of how they wrote this movie, which I find – fascinating very very interesting yeah crazy uh that that is something that i do find kind of cool about this movie i don't know how close they stick to their timelines that they establish within the film like 13 minutes and 30 minutes are being the two like uh, yeah but that's kind of cool and i think white house down does a similar thing where it, the the opening assault is something that is uh within the internal logic of the film trying to use some real world logic it is a big thing of like if you were to do this you would have to do it very fucking quick and I think that's cool. I yeah. think it's interesting. It makes for a fun, like, propelling action sequence. And you have villains that are acting as a well-planned, uh, well-thought-out strike team. Like, to have the good guys, in big, big bad air quotes, lose so severely it is interesting just from a filmmaking standpoint. It's one of this, the successes of this film, as much as that mass death kind of bothers all of us, the imagery they use bothers all of us, I can't deny that it kicks a lot of ass. It's yeah. the only sequence of the film that I was, like, super into was yeah. that opening attack. It's yeah, it's cool to have a very fast action sequence like that where like there is a very clear like time clock on what has to happen. I like yeah, that. For sure. Are there any other big themes or worthy points of discussion for this movie? I mean, uh I don't think I have anything. I'm I'm looking through my notes and I feel like we've kind of covered everything. I think we hit a lot on the reviews and syllabus too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've kind of been analyzing this film from the start. Yeah, it's hard yeah. not to. I yeah. guess the only thing I have left is uh I really do hate it when they use like fake news broadcasts in movies. It's one of oh, my yeah. least favorite things. Lawrence yeah. O'Donnell's on the yeah. The last twenty years it's just an everyday movie and I hate it so yeah. much. There's more interesting ways to convey what the outside world thinks about what's going on. All right, well, let's render a verdict then. Uh, what do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? Trash. Fair enough. What do you say, Dalton? I want White House down to dropkick it through a table so that Dread can then suplex it onto a ladder so that Die Hard can then give it a DDT. Yeah. Ooh, I yeah. don't like this movie. Bonesaw is ready. Um, yeah, I'm going to also say trash. 
There, there we you go. go. There's literally like a dozen movies up like this movie we would recommend you before you watch this one. For sure. I will say, it has been a fun couple of weeks with you fellas. Uh, early in this year, uh, and also with our uh, our tournament of How Have We Never Covered, we've cheated a lot in 2020. We've been in a run for a couple of weeks of real good trash, of like trying to, well, of real trash and trying to determine what's the good trash and what is mm-hmm. the, the real trash. Yeah, I was about halfway through this year. I was like, man, we need to get some contenders for the Hebrew Hammer types. Because we have, I mean, we've done a lot of, you know, quote unquote good trash, but it's been stuff we really regarded pretty well or highly. I mean, and things that are kind of like cheats, you know, the Truman Show or sure. Spirited Away and obviously anti trash and. Uh, Song of Praise. I think a lot of those, well, most of those, were pretty genre heavy. But there are a couple in there. I think that are strong. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I Film agree. E- stuff, but. Even those, uh, yeah, those genre pieces that we have done this year are things that are like either agreed upon to be good or just like very clearly exceptional. Yeah, yeah, and it's been fun to go through some films that it's like you know sometimes you got to watch some trash to find like the hidden gems. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. yeah. I'm, it's been good programming the last couple of weeks. Well, are you going to keep up the streak, Arthur? What's next? Well, hold on. He keeps trying to skip this part. I got to tell the People I think you should take us. a hint. All right, I should take that. I'm hint. just kidding. <laughs> You're cute. I love you. Uh, I didn't say he was wrong. I know. Yeah, I know you didn't. I'm going to do it anyway, though. If you actually find yourself uh, to be a huge fan of the Has Fallen franchise and cinematic universe, you should email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Tell us why these movies are good. We'll read it on the show. Uh, subscribe, follow, whatever, to the show. Um, you know how to do it. You've listened to a podcast before. We like it when you rate and review us. Uh, we're on Twitter at good underscore trash, and that's also how you can find all the other stuff that Good Trash Media uh, helps make or is a part of, uh, things like the Wheel of Randy uh, and the Praise Down. Good shows, one and all. Uh, all of that stuff can also be found at goodtrashmedia.com. And if you want to give us some money uh, and listen to Dustin and Arthur and I play a tabletop or get sent a free movie, uh, you can go to, well, uh, a compens- uh, be compensated with a movie. You can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. There's tiers and such there to tell you about how you can give us stuff if you give us money if you want to. Um, and again, fun fun perks for you if you do that. That's it. Now I'm done, Dustin. Okay, Arthur. Pick a good one. Well, I'm very excited about next week. As it is the end of September, we're going to set the stage for Shocktober in a couple of ways. The first is uh, we're going to do Misery, uh, a movie I'm very excited to revisit. Nice. Uh, one I've never seen. Fun soft launch into Shocktober. Uh, and it's also the 30th anniversary of Misery. It is. Came out in 1990. Something else came out in 1990 at this table. That is Dalton Stewart. That's right. And so uh, the reins of Shocktober are going to be fully handed into his uh, command uh, with one caveat, mm-hmm. maybe a couple. Uh, but the main caveat is that all of the movies must be at least. 30 years old for Shocktober. As I will be uh, during Shocktober. It's very exciting times. Shocktober 9. Uh, nine Dalton's nine. Mystery Box. Something, yes. Yeah, we'll figure out the name. We'll but come up with something. For Shocktober 9, I, I, I have the helm. And I'm I, I think the only caveat is one we stick to pretty often is that try to pick stuff that's streaming uh, yeah, for sure. accessibility. But yeah, I think uh, that 30-year benchmark is going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun stuff that's streaming that is in that uh, time period. So uh, I'm I'm curious to see what happens. And you're right. A fun double soft launch by doing a 1990 horror film release uh, with Misery. And again, we always try for our, our last pick in September to do something that's kind of horror adjacent. Work. Yeah. yeah, do something that's kind of more psychological thriller than pure horror. And I, I feel like I haven't seen Misery, but from what I know about it, that kind of fits that bag, right? I, I think uh, it Absolutely is a movie does. that is... Very uh, prescient to our times in regards to fan culture. Uh, and I think Dalton has such sights to show us. So indeed, that's where indeed. we're at. Well, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>